0: A reading from 2 Kings. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel but Elisha said as the Lord lives and as you yourself live I will not leave you so they went down to Bethel then Elijah said to him stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double spare of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
1: A reading from the letter of Paul to the Galatians. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desire is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enemites, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit." Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
2: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, "I will follow you wherever you go." And Jesus said to him, "Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." To another, he said, "Follow me." But he said, "Lord, first let me go and bury my Father." But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel, the Lord. I get a chuckle at the readings we get sometimes in the season after Pentecost. And I almost want to put a memo in the bulletin that says, just when you thought it was safe to come back to church. You know, we think we understand Jesus' family values, and then we get a lesson like today's that, I don't know about you, but it makes my hair stand on end just a little bit. This is scary stuff, particularly for all of us who are taking care of families and have responsibilities in this world. Jesus seems to be getting into the middle of that and more than turning over the apple cart. It's bracing stuff It gets our attention reminds me of several years ago when I was getting ready to join the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, and after a number of years of discernment and careful conversation, my spiritual mentor last sat down with me and said, Richard, he said, Richard, he said, get ready to lose everything. Full stop. Today's readings are about losing everything. We have this beautiful story, really the climax of the stories about Elijah. So climactic, in fact, that these become the foundation of a myth, in the best sense of the word, a legend that is one of the keystone stories of the Jewish faith and later Christian understanding of it. This story of Elijah being taken up into heaven in a whirlwind is so important that in fact by the first century, it was believed that Elijah would return imminently. And one of the questions that gets asked repeatedly in the Gospels is whether or not First John the Baptist and even Jesus himself are Elijah returned this sense of imminence and almost danger that the great prophet, the great warrior will come back and won't let anyone sit there with grass growing under their feet. is a key thing to know that is deep in sort of the imagination of the tradition and a profound piece of our story that our God is dangerous, and might be asking more than just a little of us, because the truth is that most of us spend a lifetime negotiating with God. If I give you just this much, will that be enough? Yeah? And we have a whole set of traditions about that, too. Remember the tithe, the tenth that we're supposed to give? This was sort of the settled agreement in the early part of the tradition about how much was God's and then the rest could be mine. As one of my brothers is fond of saying, God is very generous. He lets you have 90%, right? But both this story from this Elijah cycle and also the gospel today are saying something profoundly different. the architects of the lectionary left out a piece that I always find comical about the story of Elijah and Elisha. And if you're confused by the names, I think it's because you're meant to be. Elisha had become so identified with his master that it was impossible for the two to be parted. And as they are making their way in that last journey towards the Jordan and stopping by town after town, all of the prophets come out And they say to Elisha, don't you know your master is going to be taken away from you today? And we can almost hear Elisha with some irritation saying, yes, I know. You know, if I don't know it, nobody knows it. Shut up. Be silent, he says in the ancient Hebrew. It's almost like a Hebrew version of the Greek chorus. They keep coming and saying this until finally they reach that final stage of the journey and the prophets come out. And, God be praised, at last they are silent to be witnesses to what is about to happen. This great depiction of divine power that Elijah brings. He takes off his mantle, and he hits the Jordan with it, and the seas are parted. And that's meant to remind us of something we know, the deep tradition Moses and God's people, crossing into new territory, into a new way of being. And Elisha is so distraught as he watches his master taken up into heaven, he tears his own clothes. That is to say, Elisha now has lost everything. Everything that gave him identity and a sense of purpose, his mentor who was closer to him than a father. And the only thing he can do is take up Elijah's mantle and test in a way. Maybe not even in a way. He just tests God's power and his request for a double share of Elijah's spirit. He strikes the Jordan and discovers it parts for him as well. And everything from now on will be different. In fact, Elisha will go on to do, in some ways, even greater things than Elijah did. But it comes at great cost. He has lost his mentor, his partner, someone who was there for him like no one had ever been before. today's gospel, when Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, Luke wants us to understand that this is not a happy thing. When Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, he is turning his face to the city that, as Jesus himself says, kills the prophets. It is a place where he will go to confront the authorities of his day and even evil itself, and he is going there to die even though his disciples can hardly believe it. And it even offends the Samaritans, the Samaritans whom Jesus has developed a heart for in Luke's narrative. And the Samaritans are scandalized because Jerusalem, if anything, is farthest away from the center of their tradition. Jerusalem represents to them the deep offense and the deep conflict they have with their Judean brothers and sisters that goes back to the Babylonian exile hundreds of years before. In that exile, the people of Jerusalem were taken captive up into Babylon. The Samaritans were the ones who were left behind and kept what they believed was the correct tradition. And they centered it around Jacob's Well and the center of their part of the country in Samaria. And so when Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, they basically turn their backs on him. They can't go there with him. James and John, of course, you know, want to make a big thing out of this, call down fire and brimstone. A little bit of vengeance goes a long way in this neck of the woods. Jesus rebukes them. and says, no, no, because he understands Samaritan's perspective. Let them be. And then he goes on to these really hard themes for us where Jesus talks about the call to this life on the road with him, which is about letting go of so many of the things that we hold most near and dear to our hearts. And we need to hear it in the way that Jesus intends it. He's overturning even the things that we most cherish and value. In Jesus' world, the paterfamilias was the center of everything. The patriarch, the man of the family, around whom everything in the family revolved. It was the identity for his wife, his children, and his slaves, and his livestock, and even the wider community. And Jesus radically overturns that when he says to the man who wants to go back and bury his father, let the dead bury their own dead. Well, gee, thanks a lot, Jesus, you know. Talk about stepping in. Foxes have holes, Jesus says to someone else. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you thought you were going to follow me and get a gilded palace or a comfortable life, you've got another thing coming. Or the one who says, let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus has hard words. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Anyone who's done anything with plowing or using a combine or teaching your teenager to drive, something I started doing this week, knows that you cannot drive in a straight line if you're looking back. we always have to be looking forward at what God has placed in front of us. Get ready to lose everything. One of the temptations of my vocation is to be the paterfamilias of the community. Those of us, who are in positions of authority in the church, like rectors, get called father sometimes. And that refers back to the old tradition of the paterfamilias. What does that mean? Well, the temptation is that everything should revolve around us. That's the temptation. We are being reminded today that, in fact, that is not the case. Something else is going on here. We are all being called into ministry, and that changes everything. Our most sacred bonds, even our marriages and the relationship we have with our children, are being called into question. And it should give us a moment to pause and reflect In Jesus' world, marriage and children were about the paterfamilias, the identity of the patriarch, and extending that into the next generation. But in Christian terms, it's about something different. Instead of asking, who's going to extend my identity, in effect, who's going to extend my ego, we're asking, who is my neighbor? And our closest neighbors are our spouses, and our children, and our parents, and our siblings, in many instances. And as Paul reminds us today, Jesus hints at too, we're called to a different vocation with them. They are not an extension of who we are. but they are the first people we are called to love. Our closest neighbors. Put another way, all of the traditional ways of relating in the human family are recast when Jesus begins to proclaim the gospel in our hearts and in our lives. We are called to see the divine in one another, particularly those who live closest to us. The ones we get to know warts and all, right? The ones we get most irritated at. The ones we get most frustrated with. The ones we want so desperately to succeed for our sake. If not for theirs. Love your neighbors. Jesus commands. Love them in such a way that they may be free. Get ready to lose everything that you cling so closely to. And instead, learn to hold it with open hands and open hearts. And in knowing so, then you're putting God first not second, not a tenth, not a half of a tenth. You are giving everything over to God. You are then, like Elisha, rending everything that is left so that he has hands free to take up the mantle of the spirit that God has sent to him you are then embracing the life of those early Christian communities like that little church in Galatia which was not about the paterfamilias, whoever their esteemed leader was, but is about the true paterfamilias, God in Christ, the one who comes among us to set us free. then you are able at last to be free and on the road to Jesus, even if that road leads to Jerusalem, because you can at last see that over the horizon of death that awaits there is new life. And as I learned in that first year of joining the Brotherhood, what was lost needed to be lost, and what came back, came back tenfold with grace and love, and the wonderful recognition was that it was no longer mine, it was God's. And then I could take a step into that piece of our rule which says, Learn to love others without trying to possess or control them. And then you start to learn what love is really about. And what this new life is about. That Jesus constantly calls and recalls us into. The life, as he calls it, of a kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. Because only a kingdom not of this world can redeem the kingdoms of this world and remake this world anew. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMellValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.